Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. Potential is everywhere in the Choctaw people. It's in our schools and students. It's in our small businesses and entrepreneurs. Potential is in our lifestyle and health. It's in our culture and heritage. Passion and commitment is in our blood. Ingenuity and economy are a tradition. And the Chutla Foundation was founded for this potential. To cultivate minds and hearts, to stimulate ideas and passions, to extend lives and improve health through education, and to preserve and promote the power of our past. The Chatha Foundation, meeting the potential of the Choctaw people. Today, I'm back in beautiful Eastern Oklahoma, visiting Jones Academy in Hartshorn. A lot of folks don't know about the vast terrain differences we have in this, my home state of Oklahoma. Here we have tall grass prairie tablelands, hardwood forests, cypress swamps, western high plains and great plains, deserts, mountains, cavelands, and so much more. Since here in Hartshorn, we're at the base of the Pocahontas Mountains. We're surrounded by rolling hills and millions of trees. Jones Academy was established as a boarding school for Choctaw boys in 1891, and it's near and dear to my heart because of the Choctaw Connection, which is my tribe. But I won't steal the thunder of my guest, Patrick Moore, who is the superintendent of Jones Academy and has much to share with us today, including an important aspect of the legacy of the Choctaw, the Choctaw ponies. We'll get to that in just a bit. Halito, Patrick. Halito. I've learned to use a little bit of Choctaw since I've been here. Oh, good. Choctaw country for... <laughs> about three years now so but i'm i'm pawnee and oto proper greeting in, in my pawnee language i would say noah noah so, noah rachel uh glad to have you here today looking forward to podcast thanks so much you guys have always been so hospitable to me and some of the ideas we've had together to you know get to know jones academy more and see if we can all be of help in the community before we get into the history of jones academy and the good you're doing here tell us a bit more about yourself Married to my awesome wife, Jamie, my high school sweetheart. Been together since high school. We've got three awesome, crazy, beautiful children. (laughs) My daughters, Jaylee and Jada. Uh, Jaylee just graduated from high school. Wow, congrats. Going on to move out of the house and go be a big girl. That's Uh, right. So, And then we've got one, Jada. She's going to be a freshman in high school. And then Payson, our little boy, he's... Almost five. So I've got one starting college, one starting oh high school. Oh my gosh. And one will be in pre-K. So Wow. And did they go to school. school here at Jones Academy when they were younger? The timing of things when we got here, Jada actually was in sixth grade when we moved here. Okay. So it was at the end of the school year. So she was here for like a month. 
Yeah. Finish, finish that school year. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, Dad, what are you yeah. doing? Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll pace and go here, you think? I yeah, I, yeah, I think we've got such a great academic program with our elementary. I'm looking forward to being able to put him with, put him with our teachers here. He probably needs to be close to dad too yeah so. well and he can't get away with anything right yeah. isn't that how it always goes when your dad's the superintendent yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well something i've loved about you and your family is that you're always together you all live on campus at jones academy and your wife is incredibly supportive and i shouldn't just say supportive your team she's involved in so many aspects of jones events and is like the mama bear over the kids at jones too where were you raised so i was raised in small town oklahoma pawnee oklahoma lived up a little bit north of there in Ponca City when I was a boy. My my parents, they, they had me in high school and both working a lot. So I spent a lot of time with my grandparents there in Pawnee. We lived in a little, uh, well, in and housing addition there in Pawnee where I had a lot of family that lived yeah. in that in that area. So I had a, uh, an, an aunt right next door for a long time. Then my grandparents lived just right down the street. So spent a lot of time early on with, with my family. I just kind of raised around all my family there in Pawnee. It's nice to have that tribe around you, if you yeah, will. Yeah. You've had multiple roles over the years in various boarding schools, right? Yeah. So, or Native American schools, I should say. Right. So pretty much all of my professional career has been in Native education and in the in the boarding school setting, except for the, the one, one school year I spent at Meskwaki Settlement School up in Tama, Iowa, which that's a tribally controlled school with the Meskwaki Nation up there in Tama. But it's a it's a day school, so they don't have the dorms. They don't have the residential. Okay. Other than that, my you know ten years at at Riverside, of course the dorms there, and then the last three going on four years here at Jones Academy. Like I was saying, with you know going on about uh, fifteen years of experience in the residential school setting and tribal school setting, uh, I've I've worked in a lot of different roles. Uh, actually, my first job that I had when I was I was in Tahlequah, finished up my degree, doing my last semester of intern teaching. Uh, so I was working, uh, doing my internship at Sequoia High School, and then they had hired me the second semester as a para. So I was kind of kind of like a sub and everything. But during mm-hmm. that time too, I was working at the at the job corps there in, in Tahlequah, working in the in the dorms. So it's yeah. kind of like an on call, come in just whenever. Worked a lot of. A lot of great graveyard shifts there, and, uh, <laughs> I so bet. I had some dorm experience. And then my first first teaching job was at Riverside, so I was. Oh, a I didn't realize that. Yes. Okay. So yeah, went straight from there into the into the into the classroom and was a classroom teacher for four years. During that time, uh, I got my master's degree and then got the high school principal position. So I was a high school principal for for four years there, and then I was a uh, kind of. On again, off again, acting superintendent for the last two years that I was there at Riverside. Been able to tell the staff I've done most all these jobs. You know, even, right. even though it wasn't a lot of time, I, I have I had spent time working in the dorms when I was going to school. I was working work study for the maintenance department at uh, Northeastern when I was you know, I was a college athlete and had a kid at home too. So I had to I needed to work and try to make some extra extra income so mm-hmm. I was going to class and then working maintenance in oh between my goodness. and then going to practice and everything so had some maintenance jobs along the way too and of course been a classroom teacher I've coached multiple sports you know, mainly basketball I've been an athletic director as athletic director all together for about eight years at Riverside and then the year I was at Meskwaki I was the athletic director there too 
and then of course done the principal the principal thing and now the, the superintendent so I always say I've, I've done it all but, yeah. but worked in the kitchen and there's good reason for that I, I <laughs> Got no business working in they the kitchen. Keep you out of there for some yep. reason, right? Yep. <laughs> Me too. I don't work <laughs> in the kitchen either. Well, and and actually, you mentioned Riverside Indian School. That's actually where you and I first met. My dad used to work at Riverside Indian School, and so I reached out to you to ask if we could partner on some ideas together. So, so tell me more about. You're from a couple of different tribes, so tell me more about that. Yeah. So I am. Uh, I'm Pawnee and Oto. Come from my. My father's native, my, my mom's non, and, uh, you know, I was raised, like I was talking earlier about the, the family. It's on my dad's side, mostly in the housing addition that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, I was always around both both sides of my family. You, you know, today it's it's not a uncommon thing or anything like that, but I was really one of the first mixed race, I guess, and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. either side of my, my family. So there's just some unique experiences that come along with that. My my mom, she was like pretty much like one of the only white ladies on our street growing up. You know? <laughs> so she felt like the minority. Yeah, she she was definitely the minority, and uh, it's funny sometimes. Yeah, you know, I've, I've told this before. And it's, that sometimes I'd get called a white boy at home, right? But then when I went to school, I was yeah another one of the Indian, in. Indian kids, right? <laughs> so uh, it was like from when I got off the bus, my ethnicity changed. Sometimes and, and I didn't I didn't realize that until till I got older and you know you see things from a different perspective right yeah. you see kids and of course I've worked with a lot of kids that you know maybe mixed race and in, in a in an all native school mm-hmm. and yeah like you said they they kind of become the minority and sometimes yeah. they they go through different experiences because it's true they might not be as dark as everyone else or be Very darker than, than everyone else so yeah, that's one of those little kind of unique things I think I've been able to relate to some kids that from that perspective too. Yeah, you know, going through some, uh, you know, identity questions and things like that. And so, with the Pawnee, you're of a particular band, correct? Our, our Pawnee Nation or Pawnee Tribe is there's there's four different bands. There's a there's a Skeety band, there's a Chawi, there's a Pitahuidat, and then there's the Kitka Hockey band. So, hmm. I'm Kitka Hockey, and we're a we're a paternal society. So basically, you take the band of of your father. Mm-hmm. So that goes to my dad, and then his dad, my grandpa, and then my great grandpa. He was a full blood Oto. Okay. So, uh, you know, so it just goes back to basically my grandpa was of his mother's band because because she was the, the Pawnee. Right. You know, so right. My grandma, she's still with us today, and she's uh, she's skeety. So, yeah, it's just that's kind of how it works. And, you know, yeah. T- today, some people are they say, well, I'm 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 get cocky and I'm skeety and Whatever. So it's kind of yeah, you know, it's different. However you look at it, but me, I, I just kind of identify as I'm Kitkaki and I'm good with that. And then even with the Oto Missouri, you're you're also there's a clan that you're right. originate the, from too. There, yeah, on right? the Oto side, Oto Missouri side, there's a, there's a clan system. So there's there's seven clans with the with the Oto, and I'm the Al clan. Al clan. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what the difference is between the different clans, or specific to the Al clan, how they differ? You know, there's some differences within each clan, just like so there is right, with, the, yeah. with the bands, and it's it's common with a lot of different, with all different tribes. But you know, one of the kind of little unique things is, and a lot of a lot of tribes have a uh, like different beliefs about owls. Maybe mm-hmm. you know, I know even like in Southwest Oklahoma, being down there, 
sometimes there's different tribes that you know, have these different beliefs about right. owls. And a lot of times it's the owls are bad, bad messengers. White like owls that. of death. Yeah, so so Pawnees have that too, but then on owl clan. So you've got like a, to, like a yeah. friction between the two, right? One. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's really not like a real friction or anything, but it's yeah. it's just one of those things that would be common. You know, there's, there's a lot of people today that are of two different tribes that were historical enemies. Yeah. You know. Right. So you get like, <laughs> you know, it's like, like for us, one of our enemies were the Sioux. So if you like Pawnee and part Sioux, you've got this internal conflict. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's just, but that's one of the neat things I think about, about us as Indian people. And you do get that where we're at today. I think a lot of non-Indians don't understand and don't even consider those things. Oh, absolutely. And we still have things like at gatherings, even not, not even so much like ceremonial type things, but just gatherings. A lot of people still practice some of those those teachings where mm-hmm. like for example women won't speak you know they have to ask a man to uh, a male to speak oh speak really for them, wow you know, in front of a group yeah. and things like that or or men eat first and things like that it's uh it's just common outsiders might see that and think that's rude or that's not, <laughs> but it's know. part of the culture i mean yeah. you have to respect that and that's like what i learned when i was when i was up with the Meskwaki people up in in iowa yeah you know there's these things in the the really neat thing about that was it was so uh, intertwined within the, the school system. Yeah, you know, that a lot of those things were just were just common. Even the there was a lot of non-native staff, but they had you know really taken in the, the culture and just understood it. And yeah, you, know, you see the appreciation for it. It's just like it's different, but this is the way yeah. they do things, and Absolutely. this is the way they've been doing them for for a long time. And who are we to say it's wrong? You know, totally. Yeah, at these schools just. You know, Particularly the boarding schools, you know, from my experiences, even like with Riverside and Eric Jones Academy, you get so much diversity within the tribes. And a lot of times I think outsiders look at it and they think, oh, they're, they're all the same. They're just a bunch of Indian kids. And sometimes you don't realize that, yeah, they're a bunch of Indian kids and there's a lot of differences because yeah. you even look at, I mean, you take Oklahoma, for example, and during relocation, and a lot of these tribes that were placed, maybe not the best of friends throughout history, were turned into neighbors. Right? You know? Just put all in one yeah. single place, Indian territory. So you may take, you know, I mean, you take any any tribe and just say, well, yeah, they're, they're all Indian kids, but their belief systems and the way they were raised was so much, so right. much different. And the thing about, about us as Indian people is we, we have that, that culture, those belief systems that are still present. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like sometimes the dominant culture that, you know, they don't have those deep-rooted beliefs that, that they were raised with. But, you know, from my experiences, there's a lot of positive that comes out of that, that diversity. Absolutely. And so I know that you feel that you grew up more Pawnee than anything because that's the, you know, your family was very more dominant on that side. You had more Pawnee traditions and culture going on in your family. And so what does Pawnee, there's, there's a meaning around the name, which I thought was very interesting, right? You know, a, a lot of the tribes that the name was was given basically you know not necessarily might not be what they what they call themselves or different tribes have different ways of identifying themselves. I would say I, I grew up Pawnee, even though Oto, Red Rock, Oklahoma is just 20, 25 miles up the road from Pawnee. Yeah. You know, I grew up more on my on my Pawnee side. I mean, being around the dances and being around our, our different ceremonies that we still have left, and just kind of hearing the language. You know, it was just, it was there, and we just didn't go up to yeah. Oto as, as much. So, And that's something, though, that later in, you know, as, as I get older and try to learn more and want to want to learn more, 
it's like with my kids, I'm always trying to trying to tell them because my wife is Pawnee and Oneida and Wyandotte. Mm-hmm. So my kids are, you know, they're mostly Pawnee. Yeah. But I want them to know about their their Oto side and their Wyandotte and their and their Oneida as well. Absolutely. You know, but like with that, with me, I'm always trying to trying to learn more about my my Oto side. But at the same time, I'm still learning. You know, kind of learning how to be Pawnee, how to be more. But yeah, so one of the things like Pawnee, we we talk about men of men, chadiks chadiks. So we say like our tribal seal, and you know, it's just kind of one of those things. Kind of, it, it means something, you know. Yeah. I guess it's very strong. Yeah, you know, yeah. You think of like where that came from, where we started saying that, you know, where that that kind of mantra came from. Yeah. Kind of cool to identify with, I guess. Uh, the Pawnee were originally out of what is present day Nebraska, correct? And then I was reading that the language is from the Catawan language. And do you do you speak Pawnee? I speak a little bit. You know, I know words, trying to get better at phrases and stuff. Yeah. Right now, uh, that's been one of the things, like, just, I mean, really right now, I've tried to really find as many resources as I can, tried to make a personal commitment to that. There's some really good work going on right now with our, with our tribe. We've got some, some linguists. Pawnee men, it seems, I mean, I don't want to speak from, from them, for mm-hmm. them, but it seems like they've made it a kind of a personal mission to save our language, not only save it, but revive it. So there's some really exciting work going on right now. And they're, they're men, they're young guys, they're younger, you know, younger than me. And I, I kind of get frustrated sometimes where I hear people still, even today, they talk about, well, these boys, these young men, they're doing, and you know, they both got their, got their master's degrees in linguistics. And they also work for other tribes. One of them is my is my uncle, actually. He's wow. younger. He's and we grew up. Uh, one of his brothers, same age as me, and we grew up just you know knowing each other as, as brothers. But on our Oto side, we're related on our Oto side. And okay. he's actually my <laughs> my uncle. Yeah. But yeah, they're doing some some really really neat work. You know, I was just home over the fourth for our Pawnee homecoming, mm-hmm. and you know, I guess it's just it was really uplifting to kind of feel the energy around it mm-hmm. I think that there was some people even at our dances I heard our language used a little bit more nice. from some of the ones that were speaking just as you get older you realize you know, how important some of those things I are know, right? you want to do your part <laughs> take it for granted when we're yeah. younger and for our listeners I mean the language thing is it's extremely hard right now because people who are trying to undo what was done, especially in the old days of some of the boarding schools, you know, the goal was to basically strip them of their language, their culture, their history, everything. And so now Native Americans are going back and saying, oh, there's very few of us that are actually first language, say Pawnee speakers or Choctaw or whatever the case is. And so that revitalization that you're talking about, that's to be commended. And it's very hard to learn some of these languages because it's not like, oh, you go live in France and you hear all these people speaking French. And so you pick it up. It's you are really a trailblazer when you're trying to learn your language here. Right. I learned so much about it at Squawky because they've got a lot of fluent speakers left. Their language is, I mean, in my opinion, it's really strong. You know, I, I think they had, they felt like it was like it's slipping, like really? losing it just because. <laughs> uh, but from, for me coming in from Oklahoma and not only my experience with, with my own tribes, but just seeing you know the situation that so many others are in. You know, I was, I don't know if I should say envious, but you know, yeah, of, of what what they had. I remember, I remember sitting. Early on, when I first got there and started in, in my principal position there, and I was doing it's kind of like a Q and A session, I think, with our I believe it was like the student council. Yeah, it was like a get to know the principal type mm-hmm. deal, and they were asking me some questions, and what I, I'll never forget because it, it was like one of those 
aha moments. But one of the kids asked me, if you could learn any, if you could learn anything right now, what would it be? And I was like, I'd never thought about that. And I'd never, and, and I didn't think about it when yeah. she asked me the question. And my response, I said, my language. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it just hit me because I'd been there in it for just a couple of weeks at that point. And it was like the thing that stuck out, to, stuck out to me. It was like, man, they've, yeah. they've got their language and they use it. And, and it's so and, rare. And it was being taught like full immersion at the elementary with the little ones. Nice. And then every kid was getting it for an hour a day. Like even my daughters, you know, two Pawnee girls up in Iowa, the only non-Meskwakis almost in the entire <laughs> school. And they know more Meskwaki than they know anything else. That's amazing. But, yeah. Uh, and then at that point I was like, okay, I've, I've got to do something about it. So that's kind of when I started trying to do more. And, and now, like I said, the work that my little uncle Taylor and Zach are doing, they're coming up with more resources. That's great. And I think it's, I think it's awesome. And it's just one of those things, kind of like one of those, one of those personal goals that I want to be able to help with that preservation effort. It's a, it's a gift you give yourself and your ancestors, I think. Well, and there's a a particular dance that y'all do, which I think is very interesting. Would you tell us more about that? You know, basically the, the dance that I do or the category that I dance in is the Southern straight dance, kind of how it's termed in the, uh, you know, in the powwow world and things like that. Yeah. So there's like, there's powwow dancing, you know, competition dancing and, you know, across Oklahoma, there's different tribes that still have their, their war dance societies. And we say like our, uh, Hedushka societies, like Hedushka, they say that for like a warrior, that word for warrior. So, you know, it's more of a ceremonial type dance, more yeah. traditional cultural than, than you're going to find like at a powwow. And, and within the Pawnees, we have a, one of our oldest ceremonies that we still have that we, that we practice is our Kitkahaki dance. And it comes from our Kitkahaki people, that Kitkahaki band. Mm-hmm. I don't know. In, in my view, it's, it's real simple. It's a pretty simple ceremony, but there's a lot to it. There's a lot of rules to it and ways to go about it. But mm-hmm. I guess the simple part of it is it's, it goes back to, you know, the days of, you know, kind of like a, a spiritual, religious, how do you want to define that practice to uh, like in the, in the spring and in the fall, like in the spring, you know, for, for a good harvest and a good, yeah. it's kind of related like they say, when the first thunder come, it's kind of signal that we start gathering, get things ready, so cool. have our dance. Yeah. And, and of course it's a, it's a condensed version of, of what they did way back, you know, when, when mm-hmm. the Pawnees were still in the present day Nebraska area and things like yeah. that. But you know, I think the approach we take today, you know, is it's just, you, know, you hear the saying a lot of times they say, we, we can't do, can't do things just like those old folks did, but we just do the best we can. Do the best you can. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things I always, always look forward to. You know, there's different positions and things with that. And, you know, it's the dancers and then the you know, cooks that are real important to that. And then the, the chiefs play a role and then our singers. And, you know, just, it takes a lot of people to, to help out and, and make it happen. And right now, today, we, we still have those dances and it's one of those things we, we, we got a lot of respect for and, you know, there's no recording allowed. There's no mm-hmm. uh, no pictures allowed. Things like that, because we always say this is something we want to keep, kind of keep sacred to us. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's open though. You know, if anybody wants to see it, you can come and see it. But it's like yeah. we say, if you if you really want to see it bad enough, you got to come there and see it. You can't sit on your phone moment. and go Facebook and yeah, watch us live or anything like that. Just live. There's other dances. You know, you go to our our uh, annual homecoming powwow. We just had you know, videos and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're not the only tribe. There's a lot of tribes that still have those things. And, you know, me personally, I think it's important to have those things that are just, we do keep as, uh, you know, sacred is kind of a, I don't know if that's the right word, or, you know, private, or need to keep for us. Exactly. You 
and you've heard different, you know, there's different beliefs about that, you know, and that's, that's like I've heard too. They say, you know, we're not trying to hide anything. Mm-hmm. It's open. You can come, you can come see it, you know, yeah. non-Indians want to come see it or even like with us, even non-Pawnees, because sometimes like with our Kitkaki dancers, even Pawnees that think, oh, that's those Kitkakis, they don't, it's just for them. It's not, you know, it's for all of our Pawnee people, but even in recent years, it's kind of been opened up to other tribes. That's great. You know, so uh, I think it's a good thing to be able to share those things. Absolutely. And you're a tail dancer, right? Yeah, so there's different there's different roles within those dances. So I've served as a, as a tail dancer in that, in our kid cocky dance. And then uh, just recently I started in a position, I guess, as a whip man for our Pawnee Indian Veterans Organization. Whip man is uh, basically, the, the way it was kind of told to me, the different ones, is you're, you're in charge of, of that dance arena, you know, what goes on mm-hmm. inside there. So you're, we dance, I carry a whip, you know, it's kind of representative of like, well, I guess it kind of said, you know, if you, if you need to use it, you can use it, you know, but, uh, you know, they say like, <laughs> there's just certain, certain things you have to do. You can't, it basically symbolizes the leadership of the, the yeah. dance or yeah, something? Yeah, it's kind of, you know, you're, you're just in charge. I mean, there's certain protocols and certain ways that you, that you're supposed to kind of manage, I guess, the arena and the yeah. dancers and. It's not like you're to be mean out there or anything like that. It's just, right. you know, you're in charge. Mm-hmm. For example, like uh, one of the one of our uh, cultural leaders in the tribe had explained to me, like, you know, if you're out there and you're dancing and, and there might be a might be a dog run across out there, yeah. there you can use that. Yeah. To, you know, and it kind of symbolizes, you know, one of the other stories I heard is it, it's a symbol too from like, you know, because like we talked about that war dance and that's mm-hmm. where the, the dance comes from. You know, like when they would be on out on war parties or like hunting parties yeah on horseback and they would get they would get tired you might you might see somebody like dozing off on their horse well you could use that whip ah you know get back to it wake them up you know, right so. interesting but yeah That's it's, something it's i a, didn't know but it's a and a lot of again a lot of different tribes have that kind of role within their in their dances to me it's something that's important to me i take it i take it serious it's a, mm-hmm. and, and it's an honor too because to me it's like it's more than just right there that day of the dance you know, it's kind of how you go about your everyday walk of life. You know, if I'm if, I, if I'm out messing up, being you know not being a good person and things like that, then you know when we get to our dances and stuff, people might well, I don't want to listen to him. You know sure. how he is. You know, try to be respectful. Try to be honorable person, and then mm-hmm. you won't have you know, people respect that. Oh, he's he's a whipman. He's in charge. You need to do things absolutely right. You know, so it's a kind of an important role. Absolutely. But there's a lot of like I said, there's a lot of important roles from the the cooks and the singers and even the ones that just are, are there in attendance mm-hmm. you know, to the ones that pray, you know, the elders and the chiefs that are there to pray and things like that. There's everything about it to me is important. Yeah. So. Every role. And then does your, do your kids like to dance as well? They, they like to dance all of them, you know, and I've never, never really pushed mm-hmm. them. My oldest, she doesn't dance very much. Uh, my younger daughter, Jada, she, she likes to dance. And then Payson, my little boy, he just, he just likes to move. So, um, he's a powerhouse. So yeah, he's, it's so, so he's, he likes to he likes to get after it just about whatever. You can definitely do that. So, your grandpa went to a Pawnee Industrial Boarding School, right? Right. So uh, my grandpa Pete Moore Senior, he he was a boarding school kid. Went to the Pawnee Industrial School. There was a back in the time where there were you know I don't even know the numbers. I've been you know with everything around the boarding school stuff. You see these been seeing these lists out on social media. I'm surprised seeing the names of, and how many, you know, and I kind of have the knowledge of the boarding school system, but 
seen how many there were, but yeah, so he went to the Pawnee Industrial School. I believe it was like, you know, basically like your elementary school days and then past grammar school, I guess they call it at the time, and you go to, he actually went on to the public school there in Pawnee. Okay. Uh, a lot of folks in that generation, like my, my, my wife's grandpa, that's where her Oneida comes from, from Oneida, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Somehow, I really don't know the, the whole background on that, but somehow he ended up in, in the Pawnee Industrial School. And when he finished there, he went to, uh, went to Haskell Institute. And I've heard that a lot of went from there to Haskell, where there was a Shalako up north, and mm-hmm. a lot of the tribes. You, know, you get those kind of common tribes that were at the school in, the, yeah. in that area. They've been able to go back home and go to the, the public school there where they were from mm-hmm. or continued at like Shalako or somewhere up there. Yeah. And uh, it looks like Pawnee Industrial Boarding School was established in 1878 to teach girls how to sew and boys how to farm. Typical for most boarding schools at the time, the kids also kept with the building operations and grounds such as laundry, housekeeping, cleaning, and meal preparation. This Pawnee school taught 200 kids from Pawnee to Oto, Missouri, to Tonkawa, to Kickapoo, and more up to the ninth grade. Then they'd be transferred to another Indian boarding school, like what you were saying. Interesting fact, the school has been termed gravy because of the chipped beef gravy that was often served at breakfast. In recent years, there were even gravy reunions where alumni would get together. The school was closed in 1958, and some of the buildings from campus still remain. And so it's interesting that your grandpa and great-grandpa went to boarding schools, and here you have been a part of multiple native boarding schools over the years. Well, that's, and, and yeah, we used to hear that gravy, they call it gravy U, <laughs> and for a long time, right. you would hear gravy, gravy school or gravy U, and you, and I remember, uh, you know, being out of school, maybe middle school age or something like that, finally making that connection, oh, that's the, the old Indian school, the Pawnee Industrial School, that's what they're talking about, and you hear that story, so they, yeah, they, they always ate, they always ate gravy, I guess, so. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like, I mean, you look at the pictures from you know, the, the reunions and yeah. it looks like it's a bonding experience. Yeah, I can remember being a, being a real young boy, uh, when they had the gravy school reunions and going with my grandpa. So I don't, I don't remember much about it, but I, I remember, I remember one time going, it was in the old, in the old gymnasium. There's still a gym and we actually it was used up for a long time. I played a lot of basketball in that gym growing up, but that's where they had the gravy U reunion. That was, man, I must have been. <laughs> six seven years old at the time or something yeah oh that's so interesting though and you know when i think about my great-grandmother she went to a boarding school where she had a great experience she came back you know many years later telling us about it and how she made friends there and Mm -hmm. i want to make a quick disclaimer there's a lot of good information out there today about the native american boarding schools that were opened starting in 1879 when some white folks attempted to colonize the Indians and basically wipe out their entire culture, traditions, and language. And what followed truly was atrocious. Children were ripped from their families and abused in in many ways, and some would call this a cultural genocide. However, there were native boarding schools that even exist today, and it's a very different environment than previous years. Now Native American children can come to the schools by choice to continue learning their culture and traditions and language. I mean, talk about a 180. There are major misconceptions out there about the remaining boarding schools today. So it's important for us to all educate ourselves and understand that the schools today are are far different and are crucial in keeping Native language and culture alive. And then Jones Academy falls into a different category altogether in its history. So tell us about that. 
the neat thing that I came to learn, and I, and I sort of learned this after after I got here. Uh, I've been in it for a while, just kind of around the whole concept of boarding schools and stuff. And you know the you know the general history, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the neat thing that I started to learn about Jones Academy is that it doesn't really fit in that general history, I, I think, because Jones, yeah. Jones Academy was established by you know, a former chief of the Choctaw Nation who had you know, he had accumulated great wealth, and you know it's one of the things that he that he wanted to do and established the the school for you know for, for Choctaw uh, boys basically. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was you know from 1891 up until the 50s. You might have it here somewhere. Was it 50, oh, 51 or 55? I believe when it went co-ed. So you mm-hmm. know you talk about for 60 years and, yeah. and all boys school here mm-hmm. and then of course when co-ed uh, I guess just that evolution uh, through time of, of Jones Academy but the neat thing is you know it was it was established by a former chief and funded by the, by the Choctaws for a long time before you know any uh, you know before the, the government was involved and things like that so and, and of course you'd have to talk to you know those alumni and those those ones that went here and things like that but you know I, I would think that the history uh, because of that, the way it was established, you know, it wasn't set up by the, by the federal government or mm-hmm. you know, through the churches and the things that you know, it's mentioned and uh, in the way that a lot of the schools and a lot of things are being portrayed right now. It, it's different to me. That, I mean, that, that's a neat history and that be a great source of pride for, for Choctaws. That, Absolutely. You know, because there were so many schools. There were, you know, if you look at that list of, of schools that were at any point in time operating in, within the state of Oklahoma or with Indian Territory, and some of them were open and closed before in the territory became Oklahoma. So, uh, you know, you look at it and you've got Jones Academy and then you've got Sequoia and Riverside and Ufala and Chickasaw Children's Village. And it's kind of, it's neat to be one of those survivors. Absolutely. Chief Wilson Jones opened this as a way to support the Choctaw boys and make sure that times were changing and he wanted them to be able to survive out there and right. be taught certain things that would that would help. And we know that the Choctaw were fairly business-minded people. It's a sad thought that when the assimilation process started, where there was talk about either wiping out or assimilating the Indians to their ways, to the white folks' ways, the chiefs had a big decision to make. They could either fight back, which meant the potential loss of life, or they could surrender, for lack of a better term. Surrender meaning multiple things being held captive in some cases, or negotiating land, rations, and peace with the government, and so on. And the Choctaw chose to negotiate, and negotiate they did. They worked with the government as best as possible to secure a safe future for their tribe. It was a last resort, but one they decided would be best for their people. So Chief Jones had the foresight to know that the Choctaw children would eventually have to survive amongst the whites. So his vision to give them a school, Jones Academy, in a safe environment where they could both continue to learn their own culture, but also take care of themselves outside of the tribe was a key component to the school's goal. You know, you think of the, the legacy of that, how the school was founded, and then where it's at now. And then, you know, for me, you think about all the different, you know, because there's so many places that you hear about that were, that were shut down mm-hmm. over time, you know, and then, and then even just in the time that I've been working in kind of in the business, I guess, you hear every once in a while these, these ones that would like to reopen their schools or would, you know, there needs to be more schools or we could, you know, wish they would have never closed the school and things like that. Right. So it, you know, there's a lot that took place, you know, a lot of work by a lot of people over time just to, just to keep it open mm, and to be able to be part of, you know, today's boarding school system. And that's, that's the thing that I think, well, I know not enough people know about. They just don't. 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to see this as a positive, all the media attention that the boarding schools are getting right now, you know, and, and the attention comes from a negative past and history. Mm-hmm. But my hope is that, you know, some way we can use this to shine a light on the positive impact that the boarding schools, the residential schools are having, on, you know, all across Indian country today, because not enough people know about it and, and understand it. And one of the things I've said ever since I've been in from, from my time here back to you know, Darko and just other places is the, uh, it seems like the, the uh, reputation is just so outdated. Oh, very much you so. Know, I, I, yeah. I deal with it so much here and that people just don't know. I mean, we interview people all the time for positions. And one of the questions we ask is, what do you know about Jones Academy? You know, I've had people say, well, I know it's, a, it's an all boys school. <laughs> and they're like, no, we got... That was got, many years we ago. Got girls like 70 years ago. It's just funny sometimes the comments you get. But I guess the most common thing is that, well, they're all sent here, right? Because they're they're in some type of trouble or something like that. That's not the case. And, and what I always say is we got a bunch of good kids. We got a bunch of good kids, and some of them just come from a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And and they're here, and they have all the things that they need. All their needs are met, and, and we're able to help them flourish. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not for us, uh, and not for this opportunity. Then, you know, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, a kid being in a situation where they might not have adequate transportation to just be a kid mm-hmm. and be involved in, in things where there's a multi, multi-family units, house, households, you know, just crowding in the home where you deal with different situations related, you know, related to nutrition and just overall health and things like that. And like I said, it's not every kid. We, you know, we've got great kids that come from great families and, and great yeah. parents. Parents are very supportive. Just this works better for them. This is a better you know, scenario yeah. in a lot of well, cases. We've got, we've got uh, single parents that work on the road, that work don't work the common 8 to 5 shift, you know, not work nights and things like this, and then this, this works better for them. It, you know, and again, and, and not just here at Jones Academy, but I know a lot of the, you know, the people that, of course, within Oklahoma, you know, Got a lot of friends still at Riverside, and I know the people at, at Sequoia. Uh, got to, since I've been here, got to know some of the folks that you follow in uh, Chickasaw, and great people. I mean, I talk, you know, I talk mm-hmm. to them on the phone. You can, you can, you know, they're good people doing good work. It's not a, not enough people know. I don't know how many times I've been here, and like I said, interviewed people for jobs here, and I've had to tell them how to get here from the highway. Mm-hmm. I drive by there all the time, but I've never been down there. Huh. And they come here and they say, it's beautiful out here. Oh, it's gorgeous. I, I never knew it looked like this. It's And it's, uh, the campus is so big, I didn't think. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do they expect? It to be all junky and trashy? And, you know, um, <laughs> Choctaw can take care of yeah, their, their people. But, but it's, you know, and and people that have lived here their whole life. Really? And have never, never been here. Or when you get into the conversation sometimes with people and you tell them, about, oh, well, our, they might say, well, out-of-state kids. And they're like, out-of-state kids? Thought they were all Choctaw kids. No, we've yeah, got that's kids also from, a misconception. We have right? kids from, I think the last, of course, COVID redirected things last last school year, but previous school year, I think we had kids from twelve different states. Wow, and like over twenty tribes represented too. Wow, you know, and I know that's that's in comparison to some of the other schools, that's that's nothing. But you know, a lot of times they just didn't even realize that. Oh, you have out of state kids. Yeah, yeah, we're, and we're flying these kids home for the holidays and flying mm-hmm. them back in, and yeah, we go pick up. Fresh graders from yeah. the, from the airport and fly with them and things like <laughs> yeah. that. And they're like, what? And it, just that whole concept of it is just, you know, and then they're like, well, do you have people that, that stay with them? 
like yeah we, like, yeah we're <laughs> he would just the dorms, let them yeah, stay we, here by themselves <laughs> yeah and, and then when people you know the thing too here that i've talked to people and i, I see it kind of like hit them when they're like wait what grades do you have and like first through 12 you get first graders yeah we have first graders they're like stay in the dorms mm-hmm. and, you know that's one thing is obviously if you if, if i'm if i ever have a bad day and i need to pick me up i can walk over to one of those dorms visit for bedtime or something like that and uh that can pick you up just about any yeah. time. You know, the thing it makes you remember how important the work that that you're doing, and not and not just me, but for our staff. You know, and how mm-hmm. important it is to to support our staff and provide all the resources and provide all the support and and all the things that our staff and the people that work here, because they you know they're the ones that have have the hard jobs. You know, they're the oh, ones that yeah. are there all the time. Those, those are the things. I, I could go on and on about those things. That it's just the things that people don't realize that boarding schools are doing now. And it's not like it was 50 years ago and 100 years ago and whatever. You know, we're taking our kids again in normal times without COVID, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we keep our kids busy. We're always, we try to get them off campus every every weekend, go somewhere, do something fun, go to mm-hmm. movies, go to the water park, go to, you know, anything just to get them off campus. Because we do keep them pretty hooked up during the week. Yeah. You know? You know, you got school, and then you got after school activities, and you got tutoring for the older kids, and other activities, and mm-hmm. you know, keep them pretty busy. But you know, we get to provide them, provide a lot of opportunities that they, that they probably wouldn't get if not for. Even though this started as a Choctaw tribal school, as you mentioned, there are other tribes that are educated here. Twenty different tribes, typically, um, in from ten to twelve states. And so, you know, it, it's wonderful, though, that this is a, how would you explain the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma's, is it sponsored by the Choctaw Nation? Is it owned by the Choctaw Nation? How does that work? I guess the best way to say it is we are, it, it's not like ownership, uh, but uh, controlled and operated. You know, we're tribally controlled schools. Within the Bureau of Indian Education, there's, you've got the uh, Bureau operated that are operated by the Bureau of Indian Education, mm-hmm. and you've got tribally controlled. So the tribally controlled schools, you know, our, our funding is the same. I mean, the funding comes from the federal government through BIA and through the Bureau of Indian Education. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're just kind of maintained and operated different. You know, you've got the tribal control, so the tribe can, you know, for, for instance, we're all tribal employees. You know, we're not government employees like yeah. in the bureau-operated side. So, you know, we have to meet like the same requirements for Bureau of School employees, but then you've got the Choctaw Tribal HR side of things too that yeah. you have to follow. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's just a unique thing. And that's another thing that people don't understand is just how the school works. All Bureau of Schools are, and you have to be accredited with the state. So mm-hmm. with the State Department of Education within the state that you reside. So we go through accreditation every year with the Oklahoma State Department of Education. People just don't realize that. They think, well, are you a private school? Is it a charter right. school? Is it a, you know, what, what is it? And it's like, well, we're, we're a bureau, tribally controlled school. And, you know, we're accredited with the State Department. And the bureau schools alone are unique. But then even Jones Academy, like, I think we may be the only site that there is a full and a peripheral dormitory. So basically, we have a tribally controlled elementary school. Okay. So we've got a full elementary school for our first through sixth grade students. Mm-hmm. They're educated here, schools here and all that. And then we also have a, a dorm for our first through sixth graders. Mm-hmm. So we have a you know, basically an elementary residential school. We also have seventh through twelfth grade students. 
and they fall into that category of a peripheral dormitory. They reside in the in the dorm, but they attend school somewhere else. So our kids, you know, they attend school, our 7th through 12th grade kids that live here, and they attend school at Hartshorn Public Schools, which is mm-hmm. a local public school. And I'm glad you um, described that for everyone, that it's very clear. Grades 1st through 6th grade, you teach here, and they stay in the dorms here, and then 7th through 12th, uh, you also house here, but they go to, say, Hartshorn Schools, for right. instance. You know, that's that's important because that's part of the message that you know we've really been trying to get out here locally because even locally like I talked about people that we you know that you just get in conversation with just in general and things like that but I think even people within southeastern Oklahoma a lot of tribal members don't really know that and understand that mm-hmm. I mean I, I talk to people it's, it's not uncommon to work with even people within the Choctaw Nation that, that don't know that sometimes don't even know where we're located you know and that's what we've been trying to do we've kind of initiated a an, an effort to to do some community outreach here from the school so i've had some of my staff up here in that admin office have been calling around to all the community centers across the Choctaw reservation now what we've been trying to do is some community outreach within the well tribal districts to get out to the community centers and get the word out to people that hey this is what we are, you know, just the way I explained it. Because I think so many don't, they don't know. I mean, I've had people that, I think when I first got here, there was a couple, you know, I had some kids here, they had, had some issues at school, and the parents were calling me. You know, I was dealing with, with, with a mother who was upset about some stuff, and I had to explain to her, I said, no, that, that's at school. And she didn't oh, even know right. that they were going to town. And I said, no, I will, but you're the superintendent. I said, I know, but there's a superintendent. Of Jones Academy up well, through sixth grade. And I'll right? talk to you, and we'll, you know. And they just, they didn't understand. She thought she was sending them here to, to school and had no idea they were going to. So sometimes, oh, you know, people goodness. are just right. uh, not misinformed, but just uninformed. Yeah, you know, yeah. They, just, they just don't know. So, And then sometimes people don't know that, you know, our kids that are older kids, 7 through 12 kids that go to Hartsburg Public Schools, that they're just like any other student at Hartsburg Public Schools that shows up every day and gets off the bus. They yeah. go to school. I mean, they get they participate in in all activities, all extracurricular activities, yeah. they, can, they can participate in, I mean, in anything. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people think, they, I mean, I get asked that question, well, will they get to do sports or will they get to yeah. try out? Yeah, 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 they do everything. We, you know, we try to make an effort to make it just as any other high school kid, or junior high kid in high school experience from, from anywhere. You know, try to make it as normal as you possibly can. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of questions and misconceptions out there that, you know, and, and that's why we've, like I said, we've tried to do this, this uh, outreach effort to get out there more, even, even within the, the Choctaw Nation and some of the programs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the different programs that work with the youth, because there's people that work in those programs that don't have a lot of knowledge of Jones Academy. And what we always tell them is, you know, we're a great option for a lot of the kids that you're going to work with. And we, ju- we just want to educate them so that so that they know so mm-hmm. that they can help educate parents when when they're going through different tough Indeed. times and may need some may need some help uh, hey we're here and you know, we yeah can, we can help and on top of everything else would you say that it's a benefit to the kids too that they're around other you know various tribes they're around other native americans and they get kind of that i don't know one big great tribe to to you know they don't always have that in some of the states they grow up in maybe they don't have as many native americans and they're in a school with a bunch of ethnicities that don't look like them. So you get you get kids from different experiences. I mean, you get some that are, you know, sometimes we get kids from pretty isolated reservation areas that aren't used to being around non-Indians. Mm-hmm. And there's an adjustment period period for them when they when they 
you know, come here and start going to school because you know they may have been in a school system where it was a predominantly native population. Yeah. And when they start going to the public school, that's a little bit different. So there's and the staff's different. So there's a little bit of an adjustment period. But then we have some too. You know the the other end of the spectrum. We have those kids that have been in this situation where they were the extreme minority. Right. And they and they come here and then there's that level of comfort that you know here in the living situation in the dorms they're all the same and then they go to school and they've got their I mean it's really like their family with I them bet. because that's that's common at any you know that's not just here I think that's a, that's a common boarding school thing is sure you become family you live with somebody I you know bet. a lot of our kids you know we've got kids that that'll be here from first first grade and then they'll graduate you know they're gonna spend those those 12 years mm-hmm. with their Jones family more than they are. You know, you're spending the better part of the, of the year, you know, nine, ten months out of the year for 12 years of your life. You know, so this becomes their home, this becomes their family. That's what I tell our staff. You know, we, we like our staff, and you know, I've ex- tried to explain it to other school staffs too. So we're different than normal schools. We work where they live. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to work sure. every day, and you go home, and they go home, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. We, you come to work where they live. This is their, this is their home take care of it and you just have to treat it a little bit different and of course in my situation I, I live where I work and work where I live and, and all that stuff. all the things for yeah. you and your whole family yeah. well I, I was here during a 5k that y'all did a few years ago over Halloween and mm-hmm. such a fun time they loved it and they they did feel it did feel like that there was a sense of community and family not only just within the kids themselves but also with the staff Anything yeah. from people who do the cooking to superintendent to wife of the superintendent, teachers. It was it was a great time. And that was one of the things that we came up with to try to get more more community involvement out here. You know, that's one of the things that I've I've tried to do since I've been here at Jones and with with the community and the, and the school at Hartshorn is our our doors are always open. You know, to come out and see our kids and. But when we have those events like that, like like the five K was great, you know, we had like mm-hmm. you know, I think that first one maybe that you came to we had a baby I want to say Oh like yeah, Payson was really eighty to a hundred runners. You know, oh, like wow. eighty something maybe signed up that came out. You know, it's like there's like eighty people that came out here for the for the run and probably would have never came out here if yeah. for that run. We had a great time. And you get the you know, you get so much positive feedback from people. You know, they they see our campus and they get to interact with their kids and with their staff and yeah. You know, so many times it's just, it, it's like there's kind of surprise or it's not what they expected or whatever, but. Yeah. Um, you know, Ple- that, pleasantly that, surprised. Yeah, that, that's what I was saying. And we've, you know, we continue to try to do more of that. Of course, again, last year, COVID shut us down to where we couldn't have anybody on campus for anything, but really looking forward to hopefully things are going to kind of get cleared up soon so we can get back to. For sure. Things, Home not stretch. Only the, <laughs> the, uh, the visitors, but the kids like it too. Yeah. You know, I mean, we had like, uh, even like the school staff, you know, some of the school staff came out, like the coaches and teachers and stuff for that. And just for the kids to be like, hey, my English teacher was here with me. It's yeah. literally like if they were to do a home visit and, and show but up. But they love that. So, so yeah. yeah, I think it was, it, it's great for our kids to see the community out here. And the kids must each have their CDIB or certificate degree of Indian blood to attend, correct? Right. So it's you know it's, it's the way the policy reads from the from the CFR. You know, there's a code of federal regulations mm-hmm. for Indians, and there's an Indian schools piece there. And, and yeah, that's what it's it's basically for for funding. You've got to be a, either 
an enrolled member of a tribe or show at least, you know, be able to prove at least one-fourth degree of Indian blood. Okay. And then as far as your campus here, it's a beautiful campus, like you said, set in these rolling hills of millions of trees. And so you have this elementary academic facility, which is 40,000 square feet. Um, but there's something interesting about the significance of the design, right? The curved corridors, and which symbolizes the circle of education. What other items would you say are significant? You know, I've been here for three years. I've, I've heard the stories of, you know, the different... Uh, symbolisms that were put into the design of the building and thing. I know there was a lot of work done there and you know I've seen it at, at other sites as well. I think I think there's a lot of significance in that when the when the tribes and the local tribes because I'm thinking of the other schools that I've seen go up just in the last 15 years or so that I've, I've been working in. You know you see the planning that goes into that and that you're able to you know I have to think back to when I was at Meskwaki you know the different things the different designs and the patterns and the symbolisms mm-hmm. it's it's just that whole effort to you know to be immersed in, in your culture you know it's kind of like a language you talk about the language it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to learn it if you're not you know, it's it. not conversational <laughs> and you're not in it and things like that so sure. I think it's really important to, to have those things but you know really just uh, throughout our campus yeah like you said we've got a we've got a beautiful campus I mean we're sitting on about close to 700 acres, I think it's about 680 plus acres. Probably came in today, they're, they're cutting our hay pastures right now. Yeah, uh, you can see they got the, hay bales going you know, we've got, we've, we've got a lot of pasture land. Our actual, our actual campus, you know, the school campus, it takes about 100 acres of that. So wow. we've got the you know, the pasture land and then we've got a, we've got a nice pond down there. Well, it's one called the lake. It's, it's a big pond. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good fishing pond. Nice. Um, because our, our kids during the fall and the springtime when the weather's nice, we really do use that a lot. One of the exciting projects we got going on right now is we had a, we had a donation to our foundation, and uh, it's kind of a, an open donation. You know, whatever we seem fit to to spend those funds on, and we want to get a, a pavilion built down there mm. and get like electricity and some facilities, restroom for facilities and things like that. Because yeah. it's like I, I said, you know, it's all fun and games. Just take twenty. Uh, elementary kids down there, and five minutes in, you got somebody's got to use the restroom. Of and, course, and you got to go <laughs> drive all the way back to campus. You know, it's, it's about a half a half mile. Oh my goodness! Uh, try to get some facilities out there, restroom, get electricity, so we Makes get some sense. lights up, things like that, and be able to use it more because we, we use it a lot. But like I said, we could we could do more once once we get that. But we got the you know we got that that facility down there, the the pond, and then uh, you know we've got a little stickball field out. Kind of a, next to the next to the softball field, and really looking to expand on some of those facilities. Hopefully, we can expand. And then we've got our our horse our horse pastures, you know, where we got our got our Choctaw ponies at. So. And as you know, I am I am just beaming to talk about the Choctaw ponies. Um, we just came from visiting with uh, Francine Locke Bray, who okay. uh, raised a lot of those Choctaw ponies, and she told me which ones to say hello to um, <laughs> if we get to go out there and see them. Um, so tell me tell me more about how you're raising and taking care of these beauties. Before I got here, there was horses. They had about, I think, about 16, 17 head of horses, and there was cattle, and then, of course, our uh, our pigs. You know, we've got our, our pig program, too, where we, do, we, we raise show pigs. Mm-hmm. You know, and, our, and our kids compete, you know, go to stock shows, and uh, that's that's a really been a really successful program for Jones Academy for, for a long time. It's kind that's of great. kind of our, our flagship program. We had that, but before I got here, the the uh, previous superintendent had decided to get rid of the horses and the cows, but we just had the, the show program with the pigs here, so we just kind of left alone, and 
it was you know, I'd asked time to time and it was well the uh, the risk management division within the nation kind of concerned just about some of the liability with the, the larger oh, livestock and gotcha. things like things like that. So you know, just kind of left alone. And one day I got a I got a call from a lady, uh, Sarah Silver, mm-hmm. called me and a friend of Francine Locke. They had some horses they wanted to donate to the school. You know, I, I actually got that call one day at the end of the day. And I didn't know anything about the history of the Choctaw Park. Okay, yeah. So I'm sitting there before I go home, and I go to YouTube and found some videos. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I remember looking up. I'm like, I've been look, looking at this stuff for almost an hour. I better get home. And <laughs> dinner's cold and stuff like that. So, it was that uh, intriguing. Yeah, huh? so it was, it was just neat. You know, and I was, I've always, you know, a lot of our tribes, we've got, you know, connection with the horses and the, yeah. and the horse culture and things like that. So just the more I learned about it, I just felt like, hey, this is something we need to pursue. So went to leadership and... And we got everything set up to where we, you know, when we went down, picked up the uh, the horses. So we've got eight of our of our own that have been donated to us: the Silver and Francine and some other individuals that, that donated their their horses to us. So that that's been exciting, and it's kind of like our, yeah. there there are uh, kind of becomes a big family out here. You know, people take their take their breaks down there at the at the horse pasture and go and bring them treats and things like that. They're kind of like our our campus. Pets, I guess yeah, you might say. Yeah. But they're, they're really neat horses. I mean, they're a neat breed. As I've learned more and more about them, they're, they're registered Southwest Spanish Mustangs. But then the, 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 the history of it, as far as being a Choctaw pony, you know, they're pure, full blood Choctaws from, that have survived from the Trail of Tears. You know, Amazing. From, from the time of the, of the Trail of Tears. So there's a lot of history there. I know, I know one of the, I was watching one of the videos, or maybe it might have been something I read, but one of the scholars, the historian, said, the way he put it, he said, you know, we've got uh, monuments all over mm-hmm. from history, individuals and things like that. These horses, they're like uh, living monuments. So uh, like, true. I, you know, it's just like, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. And uh, like I said, with the, the space that we have here, the land that we have here, I just kind of felt like it was the right thing to do and appropriate to be, be part of the, the preservation effort. So exciting. So uh, just been trying to learn up as much as I can. We've got two good, two of our guys that work work on our, kind of our, our ranch hands that work with the, with the pig program and and all that stuff are good horse guys too, and they've been really helpful. And it's that must it, be an exciting job too. They're like, we get to work with the top yeah, top ponies. It's yeah, so it's, cool. it's, it's been exciting, and there's some personal history there with a couple of them that, that goes back, you know. Wow. So it's it's been a neat deal, and I'm excited about just what we can do. You know, we've got yeah. plans. We'd, we'd like to eventually move them up close to the highway, put some maybe some signs up, you know, to have where people can come and come and see them but but provide some information too like yeah so they, so they know what know the history of, of the horses and oh for sure hopefully kind of i guess expand our our herd a little bit but we don't want to get too carried away with it but sure uh, you know we're looking at expanding a little bit so it's been exciting and and hopefully you know in the years as others get interested maybe we can be a resource for other tribal programs and you know, with the cultural center opening up, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, July 23rd. Yeah, maybe in the future they say, hey, we'd like to have some shop dog ponies down here. And I can say, yeah. hey, we've got some, yeah. you know, born and raised at Jones Academy that we could. So cool. You know, just a neat, to me, I, a neat story there. It's it. such a neat story. And and they're definitely a rare breed of, of horse. And um, they were considered to symbolize honor and glory and wealth. And so they're, you know, they're kind of sacred to the Choctaw people as well. But something that I learned from Francine today is that 
they're they're very strong. They're smaller than, as you know, even better than I do because you're around them, but they're smaller than some of the typical horses. They're not, when you think pony, you don't think like Shetland pony. They're yeah. not that small, but they were bred by the Choctaw to be very gentle because they would um, have their kids trained to, they'd strap their kids to the horse, you know, at like a year old, and that's how they would teach them to ride the horse. I'm like, you would have to have a very gentle horse um, in order to be able to do that. So I'm really in awe of these rare and, and graceful horses. And so how can we support your efforts for the Choctaw Ponies and for Jones Academy? So we have a foundation, uh, the Jones Academy Foundation, that it's really pretty simple process to make a make a contribution to the foundation. I think there's a link on our on our website at jonesacademy.org and you know the thing about our foundation is every dollar that is donated to our foundation is matched by the tribe. It's great. So and, and and we're we're really able to do a lot with that. We did a lot of our evening enrichment activities for our kids. You know there, there's just a lot of things that you're funded for but there's funding stipulations on it mm. with, with your with your money that comes from uh, the government funds, mm-hmm. basically. And then the other thing is you're basically funded for a, to run a, a basic program. You're, you're funded yeah. to meet the basic needs of, of the students. So when you look at things like going and buying Halloween costumes for the little ones, right. like I mentioned sometimes, some of the uh, incentive award trips that we do, uh, you know, sometimes academic related, sometimes just behavior related, so, sometimes it's just citizenship stuff from, from the dorms that the different dorms have their different systems of maybe point systems and things like that, even if it's just a, like a best rooms dinner. Yeah, uh, You know, yeah. you win, win the best rooms that, that week, you, know, you get to go out to go to McAllister for, for dinner. Oh, and yeah, staff, and things, some sweet tea. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but we, we also do, you know, a portion of our, like our, our, our stock show program is funded with that. Mm-hmm. We'll probably get more into when we look at expanding with the, with, with the horses as well. Uh, but just... You know, there's there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, there's things like you know we have kids that lose teeth, the, the uh, tooth fairies that come for them too. So that's right. Uh, you know, you, there's just so many things that that happen. You know, birthday. Yeah. You know, when they have birthdays, get a birthday birthday gift. That's right. Uh, you know, clothing needs, just general clothing needs. Mm-hmm. Kids grow. Yes, they do. You know, kids hit these growing spurts, and they might show up in August with all these nice clothes <laughs> and stuff, and you know you get. December and it's like they can't fit anything that they, that they came with, you know. Uh, yeah, kids go through yeah. shoe sizes, you know. So, so true. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, parents are able to provide those things, but sometimes mm-hmm. they're not. And you know, we like to be able to provide those things. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the thing, like I mentioned too, that our, all of our seven through twelfth grade kids that go to Hartshorn. You know, if they're going to participate in any activities, you know, if they uh, like right now we've got boys here that are here for football practice. We're going to get the football cleats. Sure. You know, to get the you know the the other mm-hmm. equipment that it takes to you know to be just like any other any other parent that's there, except there's to, 180 of them. Has to provide those kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's just a lot of different needs that come up. So, you know, that was a great thing that was established. Um, I think about 12, 13 years ago, maybe we do that. But then at the same time, we that foundation allows us to provide a scholarship for all of our all of our graduates. And we've actually increased that scholarship amount in the last couple of years because because of the amount of funding that we get mm-hmm. in, in in the uh, in the foundation. So like, like right now, any any graduate from like start of the last school year, any graduate that graduated from last school year on is eligible for uh, fifteen hundred dollars a semester, so three thousand a year. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's some requirements where you've got to be continuously enrolled, pass okay. all your classes and all that stuff. But if yeah. you graduate, go right into a college, or even it's even set up for like a trade school. Hmm. Uh, Great. But yeah, if you graduate, go into college, you know, fill everything out. You're you're supposed to bat fifteen hundred a semester uh, until you until you finish your bachelor's degree. Great. And then if you continue on, there's some things there for a like a deferment year. Things happen, life happens, and mm -hmm. you sit out a year. But you got to stay continuous. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. you can't sit out five years and then decide to go back. And I think it's a one year deferment, and then you either sure. come back or sure. you kind of give up that. But yeah, that's that's uh, really important. And then again, with the foundation, you've got you talk about seniors. I just went through it with my own. It's it's yeah. senior expenses. You got senior pictures. Oh, so you've got expensive. Class ring, you've all got right. all those things. So you know, again, we we we're providing all those things for yeah. for our kids. So. And that's the thing too about about the foundation is there's so many people that make uh, payroll contributions across mm -hmm. the, across the truck donation that goes into that and you don't know all those people. You, I mean, I don't know who they are. It's not like I get a list of who they are. Or anything, yeah. But it, it would it would be so nice to be able to just go around and shake their hands and oh, say I thank bet. you. This I is uh, you know with, without you and a lot of other people like you. There's so many things we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do yeah. for, for the kids. So. so if there are any listeners out there that have contributed to Jones Academy, a big thank you from yeah, Patrick Moore. <laughs> a big, big thank you from yeah, from, from the kids and from our staff and, and myself. And you know, another thing that I would say is if, if you do donate uh, and you're ever in the area, come see us. Yeah. You know, even if you don't come see us, you know, but if if you do and you ever if you ever want to see the those kids that your that your donation is, is going to, you know, mm -hmm. stop by and see us any Anytime. I mean, absolutely. And I'll be sure to include the Jones Academy info on the Native Talk Talk Facebook page as well. And I urge my listeners to consider supporting the kids of Jones Academy. I know some companies like the one I work for has kindly donated. So whether from yourself and any amount or by sharing the information with others or your work or wherever. It's a, certainly an important cause, so please consider that opportunity. Yakoki, Patrick, for your time today, and now I'm off to go spend the rest of my time here with the Choctaw Ponies. All right. Thank you. <laughs> the Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together, we build success. Because together, we're more. Thanks for listening to Native Choctaw. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Choctaw. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechoctalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends.